what would you do if there was a cure for being you? Then we meet the madman known as Max Kramer to delve into the mind of a maniac. And then finally, we travel to Sri Lanka to meet a young man headed back home after college break. He thought he was warmly going to be embraced by his family. Instead, he found his soul in the icy grips of the recently deceased. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I need to get a new chair. This one's squeaky. Hold on. I didn't like go to Ikea and buy like an office chair. I have a selection of folding metal chairs from Walmart. I'm telling you, man, Walmart has everything you need. I have some metal folding chairs from Walmart. That is the piece de resistance of my studio. Another piece of my studio that I like to keep as a collector's item. He's frozen in the corner. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, one of our newest Patreons. Give it up for Johnny Thunder. Everyone give a round of applause to Johnny Thunder. Returning Patreon. He used to support the Patreon, and he's back, and we appreciate that. Johnny, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. There's flyers you can print out in the show notes. I hang those up around my town. That gets a lot of listeners. And there's also a merch store as well. I don't mention the merch store enough. We have a merch store. And that is in the show notes as well. Some really cool merchandise. Johnny, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command here. We're starting off our story by flying all the way out to a laboratory. Now we're high in the sky. We're up in this dirgible. We're Drinking some RC colas. Kicking back. Classic Dead Rabbit Radio style. But beneath us, in this laboratory, there are some serious decisions to be made. Now, I gotta give credit to... There's a journalist named Damien Gardy. And he was the first one to cover this. Or maybe he wasn't. Maybe he plagiarized someone else's work. I don't know. But I got all of my information from his article in the Stat News. Which is a biomedical journal, biomedical news website. There's a really, really interesting story that's going on right now. There's a group called BioMarin Pharmaceutical. And they are sitting there in this laboratory one day, and there's this baby in front of them. And there's like a... This is not a realistic depiction of events. Do not sue me, BioMarin. Please don't sue me. There's a baby, an innocent baby sitting there. Gaga, goo-goo. And one of the evil, evil scientists from BioMarin is walking around with a syringe. And he goes, gentlemen, we've perfected the formula. And they inject this little baby with this needle, and the baby cries. And then they laugh. They all laugh. They go, ha, 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 ha. Yes, science is, my, my hypothesis is correct. Babies hate pain. Ha, ha, ha. And BioMarin, they just laugh the rest of the day. Maniacal scientists there. What they're actually doing, again, not realistic depiction of events. What BioMarin has done is they have developed a once-daily injection 
for children. That part was right. But they're through the ages 5 through 18. There's no infants allowed. But between the ages of 5 and 18, you can take a daily injection called Voxogo. And this treats Ancroplasia. This treats Ancrondroplasia. This treats Achondodroplasia. So I did three takes of that. <laughs> One of those pronunciations are correct. This is a disease that causes dwarfism. Now, apparently, there are other causes of dwarfism, but one of the causes is that word I pronounced three times. And this will fix that. They said if you give a child these injections every single day, what it would do is you would add an extra like 1.6 centimeters. So in like non-nerd speak, that is six inches. That is 0.6 inches. Wait, what? That's super tiny. Why would I why would I want to grow 0.6 of an inch? Can you imagine? Could you imagine getting injected every single day your entire childhood with the with the Biomarin guys? Like, I volunteer to do this one. I'm extra evil. I like coming out here injecting children myself. Every single day you get a needle in your flesh, and it only adds to an extra 0.6 inches a year. Not a day, right? Because then I'd be like, look at me, Ma. I'm Goliath. 0.6 inches a year. So if I wanted to grow, if I wanted, that would be two years to grow an extra inch. So I guess like, I mean, here, here's the thing. Despite the fact that I don't want to get injected every single day to grow 0.6 of an inch. That's not a lot at all. I thought it was more. Anyways, the point, it's not to make you into a basketball star. It's to make it so you don't suffer from dwarfism. What I love about this story is I love, I think this is the science fiction nerd in me, I love to see how science affects society. And that's what we have going on right here. There are so many layers and levels to this story. The main thing is Biomarin has invented this shot. You take it once a day, and it can make it so even if you have the genetic condition that causes dwarfism, you will not be a dwarf. You will be the height of your peers. And so Biomarin goes, this is a breakthrough therapy for people who suffer from dwarfism. But then you have people who go, no, 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 dwarfism isn't a disability. It's nothing that needs to be cured in the first place. What are you talking about? Like, I am proud to be a dwarf. You have a bunch of you have a bunch of people who have dwarfism. You have these support groups as well that are saying, don't we don't need to be cured. We think there's other, we think you basically saw a market and exploited it. And because 80% of parents who have children with this androcoplasia are not dwarves themselves, they are now given decisions as the child's being born saying, no, we want to correct this. We don't want our child to be a dwarf. If your parents were dwarves, they'd be like, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. Like, we live totally full and functional and fulfilling lives. So you can be a dwarf, too, to their little baby. But adults who don't suffer from dwarfism, they may see it as an affliction that needs to be cured. This, this product doesn't come cheap, either. It costs $320,000 a year. To grow 0.6 of an inch, $320,000 a year. Now, there's like rebate. That doesn't include insurance and stuff like that. And there's rebates you can get and everything like that. But it's still, it's very profitable for Biomarin, correct? 
So people are saying you've basically created a product to cure something that people don't really need cured. Biomarin goes, we're not just, it's really interesting this back and forth. Biomarin goes, we're not trying to eliminate dwarfism. We're not trying, well, <laughs> we kind of are, but we're not trying to, to eliminate dwarfism because we don't like dwarves. They said there's a whole host of medical problems that come along with ancrodroplasia. There's a whole other host of stuff. They get sleep apnea, they have spinal damage, their bones don't work right. We're not just trying to get rid of dwarves. We're trying to make lives better through all the medical, all the other medical stuff. And to fix all the medical stuff, we need to have them grow. You have within the dwarf community, some people saying, this is wrong, we don't need a cure, and if they cure these children in the future, our community is going to disappear. Like, this is something that's very special to me and to my brothers and sisters. Then you have other people in the dwarf community go, I wish this was around when I was a kid. Like, I don't want to be a dwarf. I wish that I could have been the size of an average adult. And then to make everything even weirder. So if all these divisions, and this is just coming out, this medicine is just really being released. You have all these different divisions. It turns out, this is where the conspiracy comes in as well. There's this big debate going on, and there's a group known as the Little People of America, and they do not take stances on growth treatments. There are some people who do the broken bones thing where you break the legs and you stretch them out so you can get a little bit taller. They've taken no platform. If you want to do something for your dwarfism, that's fine, but we're going to celebrate the people. Little People of America takes no platform on these issues. Well, it's recently come out that although they have a history of not taking platforms on these issues and saying, no, don't do that, let's stay as a culture, they recently took a $130,000 donation from Biomarin. And that has caused an uproar as well. Like, it's one thing to say we're not going to speak on the issue. It's another thing to say we're not going to speak on the issue. And also we got a bunch of money from the people who are causing the issue. So just a fascinating look. It's a, I love subcultures. And this is a subculture that's been around for ages, right? It's just part of humanity is dwarfism. And it's possible that this may get removed from the gene pool. If you're able to go in, and with 80% of parents not being afflicted by this, and you find out your child would be a dwarf, I think a lot of parents would go, well, I don't want that. There's nothing wrong with being a dwarf, but I don't want my own kid to be a dwarf. And you do that for so many times, and eventually the community does completely dissolve. So what do you do if someone develops a cure for you? Super, super fascinating thing. Johnny Thunder, we are now running out of the Biomarin facility. We've exposed all their secrets. Stop them, the evil sorcerers of science begin chasing us down the hallway. Running down the hallways, luckily we overtip an entire wheelbarrow full of babies on their way to the lab. Whoa! They slip on them and we get away Scott clean. Johnny, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. Let's burn rubber and get out of here. We are headed all the way out to California. <laughs> Driving on out to sunny, sunny California, palm trees, we're waving at movie stars, Pamela Anderson's walking down the street, we're like, hey, Pamela, Tupac's walking down the street, we're like, what, we thought you were dead, he's like, no, nah, I was just kidding, give him a high five, he's in the car now, and we're just having like a good time, right, but then we see 
a hobo. <laughs> this is the first hobo we've seen the entire time we've been in California. That's the most paranormal part of the story. We got all the way into the middle of Santa Monica, LA, all of Southern California. Never saw one homeless person until now. And then, like, Tupac is like, you guys stay behind me. I'll bring a shot. The hobo stabs him to death. We're like, Tupac, no! Are you faking this? He's all... And the hobo goes running off down the alleyway. Now, we have to chase after him. I mean, I guess we should probably call 911 for Tupac, but I'm sure he's faking as he's turning blue. Oh, yeah, he's faking. Really good at special effects, that guy, Tupac. We're running down the alleyway, and we corner Max Kramer. <sighs> turns around he's all extra hobo-y now max kramer we've covered before on this show most famously he's this man he's a video game developer he's a whole i always bury the lead on this one he's a homeless video game developer who also comes up with these crazy plans he has a website he has two websites at this point and we'll get into the second website i'm still going through the first one that was given to me by listener oogs thank you very much but he's developed this website, and he has all these crazy rambling thoughts. We've covered him on this show a couple times. One time he wanted to kill you and wear your flesh, and then to go after your children. And then the second... There was no top in that one. That was the problem with Max Kramer. That was the first time I covered him. So everything I've looked at after the fact, I was like, whoa, nothing's as crazy as this first time. The second time we did a story about he thought that white supremacists were wiping diarrhea on a kosher bread. What? So anyways, and that, I don't even, I probably shouldn't even brought that up because now I got to go find the episode and I'm reminded about it. Anyways, but Max Kramer has all these crazy thoughts and I found a bunch more of them. I was digging through the archives the other day. It's always interesting to look into the mind of a maniac sometimes. And he wrote, this is so creepy to me. He wrote this a while back. You guys remember Jessica Simpson, movie star, Pop star, reality star, all that stuff. She's pretty starry. She's in the public eye, right? Very, very beautiful woman in the public eye. And she has a baby. And remember, we're talking about a guy named Maxwell Kramer, homeless man who wants to wear your skin. And Jessica Simpson, very, very famous woman, probably has never even seen a homeless person in real life. She assumes they are all just simulations they, she sees on television. They're like, what? No one could live like that. Jessica Simpson has a daughter named Maxwell. And that really, really confuses Max Kramer. He can't wrap his head around the fact that his name is Maxwell and he's a man and Jessica Simpson's daughter is named Maxwell and it's a girl. He can't figure it out. He goes on to say, is that a strange coincidence? I talk about Sims on my website and Jessica Simpson named her daughter Maxwell 18 months ago. Hmm... He didn't actually go, hmm. That was a little bit of my editorializing. Let's continue this. Did she patent my video game technology too? My aunt and uncle live in Beverly Hills, and I have been homeless in public in L.A. for multiple times of three to six months. Is she Jewish? I'm Jewish. My L.A. family is part of the L.A. Jewish community. Well, if Jessica and Maxwell Simpson are Sims, then I guess it doesn't matter. But things similar to that accumulate into my living in a twilight zone. As, other as another example of a male named Maxwell is Maxwell D. Taylor, a World War II hero who was an Army Airborne that rose from Major to a four-star general. Note, I am not MDT, although it is hypothetically possible for World War II soldiers to have been frozen and reanimated into the 1980s. 
that is to be I'll be honest like I started my show because of stuff like this. I originally when I thought about doing this show I thought I just want to read the ramblings of madmen. I wanted to sit at work and listen to someone read manifestos because I just these are glimpses into someone's life that I'm sure he's ranted this walking down the streets and people just tune him out. But to this it to him this totally makes sense. And I find this absolutely fascinating. It's that rambling sense, but also it's creepy. Let's work, let's work through this backwards. The, the chain of thought for him to say, I know of a other man named Maxwell, and it's Maxwell D. Taylor, a World War II hero. He just kind of tails off into this weird thing. It has nothing to do with the original thought, but he goes into it full sail, right? He ends his diatribe, that was the end of the whole thing about Jessica Simpson, was talking about it's possible for World War II veterans to have been frozen in Captain America, right? It's in this documentary I saw called Captain America. They can be frozen in World War II, they can be brought to the 1980s. So he's saying that it's possible he is a four-star general from World War II. He's not discounting that fact. He goes, I'm not him, but it's hypothetically possible that I am him. And that that in and of itself is just weird, and I could see someone muttering that when they're walking down the street. Hey, did you know there's really a four-star general? A ten hut! A ten hut me! And you're like, what? Uh, should I ten hut him? And he just stands there until you salute him, and then he walks away. And that would be a weird story. What makes this creepy is you have a woman, you have Jessica Simpson, who's already in the public eye. And we know people in the pu- I have I have weirdo stalkers, right? Everyone in the public eye is weirdo stalkers. And really, you don't even have to be in the public eye to have weirdo stalkers. They just exist. And that's just the way life is. But when you're at Jessica Simpson level, she has a baby. And she picks the name Maxwell Simpson because she loves the name Maxwell. And she thinks it's a cute girl's name. And it is a cute girl's name. But across town, there is now a maniac who has you on his radar. That's so creepy. Imagine doing something fairly mundane. And this is where we go to, like, with gang stalking. I mentioned this on an episode before. I go, when I'm walking down the street and I, like, itch my stomach or kind of brush something away from my nose or I walk through a spider web and I'm kind of waving my hands in the air, I'm just doing those things into 99.999% of humanity. They're go, oh, that's funny. <laughs> I must have walked into a cobweb because that's the only reason why you would do that motion walking down the street. But there's always that chance that that's some person who thinks they're being gang stalked sees you and thinks that's a symbol, thinks that you're motioning to another gang stalker. Hey, he's coming. Because you have this delusion that everyone's stalking you. And now I'm on this dude's radar. Gang stalkers look at stuff and they go, it's so weird. Whenever I go outside, everyone's wearing a red shirt. And you don't know that. You don't know that he has the psychosis. And one day you go, oh, it's autumn. I'm going to start wearing this red shirt. It's kind of a burnt orange, but whatever. And you go outside and all of a sudden you see some lunatic glaring at you. Jessica Simpson, totally normal person up here. She is now, because she named her child the same name as a lunatic. She is now on his radar. And he. it almost feels like they're linked. And it's making him, he has a lot of questions about his own sexuality. He's constantly talking about people trying to make him gay. And Koreans are dressing up in black people's skin and hitting on him and trying to turn him gay. And he just has reams and reams and reams of writings online about stuff like that. And he's so confused and perplexed. How can a girl have his name 
And it's a girl. And it's a boy's name. And their name is Simpson. And he talks about Sims. Is it? It's creepy. Like this could it, we know he wrote this entry a couple years ago, but so we know he you know we didn't we know he didn't stab everyone to death in the household to go that's my name that's my name and kill them all with a sharpened rock. We know that hasn't happened, but it's just creepy because this is how those weird stalker events happen. Somebody watches a movie and goes, "Whoa, Jodie Foster looked right at me the whole movie. I should go shoot a president." So, yeah, inside the mind of a lunatic. Inside the mind of a maniac. Luckily, he hasn't hurt anyone yet, right? I keep talking, I keep making him out to be this big threat. He has not hurt anyone yet, and I hope he doesn't. But he's he's still giving it the old college try. We're going to talk about what he's doing nowadays. And it is equally creepy, but we'll talk about that on... Because this story took place a while back, but he's still up to nonsense. We'll talk about that on a future episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. Right now, Johnny Thunder, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Southern California. We are headed all the way out to Sri Lanka. We're in Sri Lanka because there was a post online written by Fuwa Aika. So, Fuwa, thank you so much for putting this together. I don't know if that's your real name. So, we're going to call you Jerry. And if that is your real name, it's just a shot in the dark. We're in Sri Lanka. It's the early 1980s. And Jerry is telling the story that he has heard. He's talked to the primary people in this story. They're members of his family. But So, Jerry has heard the story from his uncle. And we're going to call his uncle Bruce. Now, back in the early 1980s, Bruce is going to college in the nearby city of Colombo. But, you know, during break, no one likes to hang out at colleges when no one else is there. That's the spookiest time to be in college, right? So he would travel back to his town. Now, his hometown was so far away from Colombo, it was a 13-hour train ride to a bus station. And then he had to get on the bus and go a couple more hours to actually get home. So by the time he would get home, he wanted to, this wasn't like a daily commute for him, but when he would take these breaks or come home for the holidays, it would take a while. And he'd usually get home, he'd like the bus would be pulling up in front of his neighborhood around 9 p.m. And a lot of times he'd be the only person on the bus. Well, one year, Bruce was coming on the bus, and it's almost his stop. And he does this, he's the only person on the bus. I used to ride, the, I miss riding the bus. I used to love riding the bus. So weird. So weird. I have a hundred bus stories. I should start telling you about the time I picked up a girl on the bus. That ended badly. Yeah, that was an adventure. And then, you know, like cops on bus. I have a hundred bus stories, actually. Cops. But none of my bus stories are as interesting as this one. Maybe I'll do a whole episode about bus stories and Tia. And when when we were yelling at a narc, me and this other guy, we're yelling at a guy the entire time on the bus. You talk to cops. You talk to cops. It's hilarious, dude. You, we were basically like, okay, anyways, forget forget that I just did some tampering of witnesses. Let's get back to this story, which won't get me arrested. Bruce is on the bus. He gets up and he walks to the little set of stairs and he's standing up and he's waiting for a stop. We all do this on the bus, right? And as he's standing up now, he's the only one on the bus other than the driver. He drives past the funeral and he goes, I'm looking at this massive funeral gathering. And it's only like a block from my house. So I'm coming down the road. And he sees this going on. And he thinks to himself. This is very, very interesting. A lot of people said this story's not true. Da, 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 but this is the details that make me think the story's true. Because this is how people really think. 
He's watching his funeral. It's happening a block away from his house. And his first thought is, that's awful. I hope it's not someone I know. And I read that and I go, that's a detail that people forget to fake. Because that is how, when we see a horrible car accident, we go, oh, that's horrible. I hope they're okay. And you do have that thought, though, that I hope it's no one I know. Especially if it's right in your neighborhood. That's such a, that's a detail that people usually forget to make up. Something that realistic. So he looks and he goes, oh, I hope that's no one I know. The bus continues a block away to his house. Bruce's mom is in the house and she's waiting for her baby boy to come back from college. She's so happy to see her little boy. And she sees the bus pull up and she sees Bruce get off the bus and she's like, yay, she's doing a little mom dance in the window. Yay, here he comes. And Bruce walks into the house and walks past his mom. And mothers know sons. Mothers can read sons incredibly well. And as Bruce is walking by, she looks at him and she thinks for a second, something's wrong with him. She didn't want to admit it, but she could tell in his eyes something was gone. A joy? A spark? She describes it as it looked like his soul was gone. He had soulless eyes as he walked past her. She asks, are you ready for dinner? That's what you ask when you see a soulless husk walk in. You want corn on the cob or mashed potatoes? He just walks past her. And as he's walking through this house, he kicks a lamp over and just keeps walking. Now, this is Sri Lanka in the 1980s. That was not a lamp that you plugged into the wall. He kicked over an oil lamp and a small little fire starts. And he just keeps walking through the house. Now, they put out the fire. But they don't know what's going on. He walks into his room, throws his bag down, and then walks into the backyard. Where his sister is just kind of watching through the window. What is up with Bruce? And the mom's like, I don't know. He almost burnt the entire house down. Something's wrong. But maybe maybe he just had a long train ride. Maybe he's just super tired. Maybe he didn't see the burning oil lamp on the floor. So it seems like everyone else in the house just kind of puttered around nervously, waiting to see what happened, but figured it was no big deal. But his sister was watching him in the backyard rummage around in the shed or the shack, and he pulls out a length of rope and begins to tie a noose. The sister begins screaming, Oh my God, oh my God, Bruce, Bruce, no, no. And it alerts everyone else in the house, and they all run into the backyard as he's throwing the noose up over the tree. He's trying to hang himself. His family has to throw him to the ground and hold him down. He's fighting them. He's trying to get up. He's trying to take his own life. And his mom's like, someone call a priest. Someone call a priest. He's possessed. I saw it. I saw it. I should have done something immediately. He had soulless eyes. So they're holding him down and he's freaking out. And the priest comes over and he does this exorcism. And eventually Bruce gets calmer and calmer and then just kind of passes out. Now there's a couple questions about this story. You have to wonder, are nighttime funerals traditional in Sri Lanka? I don't know. Was it a funeral? Was it a, a wake? Was it like a mass, gathering, a mass gathering or was it just a funeral party? I don't know. I don't know of many places that have funerals at night, but that might be normal in Sri Lanka. 
you have the case of them holding down Bruce and them calling for a priest and him getting there. Like, a priest on call in Sri Lanka to solve exorcisms? Is that even something? I know in America, if you have a serious problem, your minister, your rabbi, your imam will come to you. But I don't think it's just if they're rolling around in the backyard. But maybe. It's 1980s. The author did say, you know, very, very superstitious area of Sri Lanka. So it's possible that this is what the priest does. This is just another Tuesday night for the priest to come over here and do this exorcism. So we don't know how long they were holding down Bruce. Was it 10 minutes? Was it because after about three hours, your arms are going to get tired and you're like, oh, come on, buddy. Just quit being possessed. I'm getting sore. So there are little questions that I have about the story. But the way that it ends... I'm willing to kind of put aside my skepticism because it's cool, right? It could be totally made up. We don't know, but it's cool. What happens is as they're holding him down, he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. He keeps saying, if I'm going to die this young, why does he get to live? If I'm going to die this young, why does he get to live? If I'm going to die this young, why does he get to live? And he's repeating this over and over again. And the people holding him down can't really make any sense of it. Like, they understand the words, but what does it mean? Well, after he is exercised of whatever was inside of him, and even the author goes, I think this is a case of mental illness. He goes, I've talked to my uncle about this, and I don't really believe this the exorcism angle. I don't know what it is, but my uncle remembers the story clear as day, and so does my aunt, the sister who was there. They all remember this. The very next day, they found out that the person who died, the bus stop away, was his exact same age. It was just as old as Bruce. So what that means, or what we can surmise from that, it's really creepy, right? Is he was driving on the bus and the ghost of the man who died possessed him. And didn't possess him for any unfinished business. Didn't possess him because he wanted to live a little bit longer. It possessed him because it was jealous. Because it was vindictive. The ghost was basically saying... If I have to die, it's not fair. Why does this guy get to stay alive? If I'm dying, he's dying. And it came after him because it was some petty vengeance. It was misplaced vengeance. Bruce didn't kill this guy. But that spirit was just leaving that body, was still trapped on earth and saw someone and didn't think it was fair. The creepy implications of this is, what if Bruce lived alone? He was described as very happy-go-lucky by his family. They thought it was super weird that he would attempt to commit suicide. It was super weird that he didn't want to choose between corn and the cob and mashed potatoes. That soulless look in his eyes. It was so bizarre. They said he was normally a really happy person. One thing we know about suicide victims is they tend to be the happiest right before they kill themselves. Because they finally have made the decision to take their own lives. They finally have committed to that, so they're actually happy for the first time in however long. So that's not always an indicator. If someone's really happy before they commit suicide, it's actually more of a clue that they did take their own life versus, you know, guards breaking into Jeffrey Epstein's cell and killing him. 
So if he had, if everyone, if everything was going great for him and everyone at school really liked him and his family just considered him a really nice guy and he came home, but he was staying in an apartment instead of going back to his mom's place and he walked in and dropped his bag and grabbed a rope and hung himself, it would be a tragic story. And his family and his friends would always be left wondering what happened. Why did he choose that? But this story says that he didn't. That something chose him. And that's the creepy part. The creepy part is had he not had anyone watching out over him, he could have easily taken his own life and he would have just become a tragic story. A cautionary tale. But what are we being cautioned against if we don't know what this threat is? And the creepiest part is what if this is not an anomaly? What if this is the norm? Now, let me back up. I'm not saying everyone who commits suicide was possessed by a ghost. but what if some of them were? I'm trying, I'm trying my best to be super tasteful here, guys. I'm really, really trying. What if some of them were? They are driving home, not a care in the world, and a vengeful spirit latched onto them and drove them to suicide. That may seem like an extreme belief, but I personally, one of my personal beliefs is like gambling addictions and suicides and alcoholism and drug addictions. I do think, I don't think demons necessarily cause those things, but I think they're attracted to people who have those ailments. Porn addictions. I think dark forces love that stuff because you're giving so much energy to something and anyone with an addiction hates it as well. It drives them. They love gambling, but they also hate what gambling has turned them into. They love gooning. They love watching their porn, but they hate the fact that they're about to lose their job because they're constantly late or just calling in so they can masturbate all day watching porn. I think these dark forces are drawn to this. And it's always this chicken and egg argument. Are dark forces drawn to people in utter self-created despair? Or do the demons cause you to go down that path in the first place. But either way, the ending's the same. It's an absolutely abysmal place to be. And we were always told, hey, don't play with Ouija boards. Don't try doing stuff with the dark arts. You're going to invite demons into your life and open yourself up to possession. But what if it's far less complicated than that? What if they can enter your life in... What if they can enter into your life at any moment? With or without your doing. Sure, making a Ouija board, playing with that thing can put a spotlight on your soul. But what if it's as simple as driving down the wrong street at the wrong time? And this vengeful, bloodthirsty spirit sees you and is so jealous of that spark of life in your soul, it wants to destroy it. It wants to, it wants to put it out. It wants to pull you into the void with it. It may not take you being curious about demons and practicing dark arts and open yourself and opening yourself up to these negative influences. Your life being destroyed in a moment could be as simple as you traveling down the wrong street at night. What if this isn't an anomaly? What if this happens all the time? How can you even defend against something like this? At any given moment, anywhere, this entity can slip inside of you 
and take you down the darkest paths known to man. The only thing you can hope for is that you have people around you who pull you back from the brink. But if you don't, or if they can't, and you keep sliding into that abyss, soon you'll just become a devouring spirit haunting the world, looking for fresh souls to destroy. You have become just another part of an everlasting cycle of violence and despair. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.